we help you build a following uh, first and then nurture that following where you can establish a relationship with them um, in hopes that at some point they will purchase. But no longer is a one-way street. Marketing is not a one-way street. It's not a, I tell you, you do it. It is a conversation that is happening everywhere, whether you're in it or not. So you might as well be in it and help people understand who you are. Hi, my name is Caitlin Pyatt. I'm a professionally certified marketer, and this is the Start Marketing Podcast, where small business owners can find authentic, accessible, and actionable marketing advice to help them grow and scale their businesses. I've worked in marketing for over 13 years, and it's an industry I genuinely love and a craft I believe can revolutionize and propel businesses to unimaginable growth. I'm the director of marketing at a startup, I run the Start Marketing community, and of course, I host this podcast. But I'm also a wife, a mom of three, and my house is generally always chaotic. I like learning about marketing, talking about it, and this is my favorite place to share my love of marketing. If you can't tell, I'm kind of a nerd about it. So I hope you're ready to soak it all in and start marketing. Welcome. Today we have an expert digital marketing specialist with us, Naira, and I'm excited for this conversation because digital marketing strategies are often the first stop for new entrepreneurs or startups, and there's so much to unpack and figure out when it comes to doing it well that I think we're all going to take some good lessons away from this conversation. Naira Perez of Spring Hill Digital has over two decades of marketing experience. She got her start in direct response advertising, building brands on TV before digital was even a thing. She founded Spring Hill Digital to help startups, small and medium businesses to help develop digital marketing strategies, identify customer patterns, and optimize return on investment in paid advertising. Need to build a follower base? Want to increase brand awareness? Need more leads? Want to advertise on Instacart and feature your products? All of this can be done through paid media and community management. Naira loves the excitement of optimizing in real time and exploring the possibilities that exist in raw data, taking pride in the fact that companies don't need huge budgets to make their digital marketing more effective. Naira, welcome and thank you for being here today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background and what it is you do at Spring Hill. Um, so my background, as you said, I started in marketing direct response, which is a fancy name for infomercials. <laughs> so uh, we played we played with data way before it was cool to play with data. Um, and then from there, I went to digital advertising. And I, after working with agencies, I decided to go on my own and help small businesses. I always had like this soft spot for small businesses that in big agencies tend to get lost mm -hmm. because they have big needs, but a small budget. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I tried to figure out a way to help them and get them the quality marketing advice that they deserve, um, you know, at, at the budget that they kind of for yeah absolutely i think it's a really necessary like space that you're filling because you're absolutely correct like it's agencies are so expensive and it's very difficult when you go in even with sometimes i think what is a pretty healthy budget i've had clients who have gone in and said hey you know i need a website built for example and i've got 
$25,000. And the agencies are like, uh, yeah, we don't do anything for under like 50000 And you're like, but I mean, 25000 for a small business is a mm-hmm. lot of money. You know, and I think the same is can be said on like the digital advertising side of things. When you go in and, you know, they've got a, a budget, it may not be the biggest and then they do they end up getting lost or um you know they're getting a fraction of the work that really doesn't actually give them any kind of ROI on their mm-hmm. on their spend because the agency is working with them right and and technically doing the services for them but not at a level where it's actually going to like give them the ROI that they deserve so i think that's a great a great space to fill in so Help break down digital marketing and what it includes for listeners who aren't familiar with it or may not realize how much it actually encompasses. Yeah, so digital marketing is basically anything done through, you know, the, the internet. Um, and this kind of marketing is can be very inexpensive, but it can be also very time consuming. So it will include your email marketing or it, it can include your social media marketing. What are you doing in your channels? Um, it could include your website marketing. It could include your relationship with influencers. It can include so many things. Mm-hmm. And some of them, as I said, can be very inexpensive. Um, but time consuming. And that's where Spring Hill Digital comes in. And we try to use the tools that are appropriate for that size of business. Meaning, you know, we don't have big platforms that we use that require us to spend thousands of dollars. What we do is we try to bootstrap and just do it as economically as possible, yeah, as, yeah. as frugally as possible. So um, if somebody is just starting and they have an amazing product, then what you need is to find your audience. You may know who your audience is, but you don't know where that audience is. Uh, so uh, let's say you're looking for women 25 to 45 that you think that's your audience. So what we do is we help you find them and interact with them and uh, see if that truly is your audience. So we we help you build a following uh, first and then nurture that following where you can establish a relationship with them um, in hopes that at some point they will purchase. But no longer is a one-way street. Marketing is not a one-way street. It's not a, I tell you, you do it. It is a conversation that is happening everywhere, whether you're in it or not. So you might as well be in it and help people understand who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think think you bring up a good point. When you first start out, you kind of, you think you know who your audience is, but Mm -hmm. if you haven't necessarily, if if you're not paying for market research, which you're probably not as a small business, um, it, it really takes a lot of testing and actual interaction to kind of figure out, is this who my audience really is? Just because I think that's who it is doesn't mean that's always who I attract. I'm a perfect example of something something like that, right? I started out and I was like, I'm going to help 
you know, small businesses and female entrepreneurs, and that's going to be the only place that I focus. And here's all of my experience and why I can help them. And the people who started responding to my product offering were actually like solo marketers who worked in corporate environments who were like, hey, I need to know how you did what you did. And, you know, even though I had built everything mm -hmm. kind of around this one audience, and that was the content, and that's who I had in mind when I was putting out all of my content, I was starting to kind of attract some of these other people as well. So it's something that it really takes some time um, to kind of explore. And I think working with someone who knows how to help you explore that can really kind of make that process a little bit more cost effective for you. And can really kind yeah, of like, exactly. yeah, they can kind of help mm -hmm. break down and say, hey, you know, here's here's who we've been targeting, but here's who's responding, and how do we want to, mm -hmm. how do we want to change? Because there's kind of two different ways you can go about that, right? Like you can look at it and mm -hmm. say, okay, well, if this is who I'm, who's responding, maybe I'm going to tweak my product or service to better fit the people who are responding. Or I need to change my messaging because I do want to capture this group that I originally set out to. And so now I need to explore yeah. how to get that done. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And, you know, you create a product and normally entrepreneurs create a product because they they saw a need mm -hmm. in the marketplace. They, they were looking for something, didn't find it, and then generated that product or service. So they think that everybody's like them mm -hmm. and the audience is like them, which once you put a product, once you put your baby into the world, um, it may not be, it may be, like you said, it may actually be attractive to people you didn't think yeah, of yep. targeting. Yeah, absolutely. So then when somebody is starting out, so you mentioned, you know, when businesses first start working for with you, you kind of start by helping them find their audience, audience. Then the next step then is probably to figure out, okay, where, what channels do I actually want to talk to my audience in, right? There's a million mm -hmm. of them out there. When you think of the internet, like the world is your oyster. So how do yeah. you know... How do you know where to start as a small business? Like how do you and how do you go about kind of helping guide that conversation to say here's where we should start? Is there like a standard mm -hmm. this is kind of the go-to recommendation or what is that process like? So my go-to recommendations is to start where uh, your budget goes the farthest. Mm -hmm to find those learnings because those learnings are going to take a while and they're going to give you probably very little ROI. They're going to give you very little sales at the end of the day, but you're going to learn so much. So um, we're starting uh, a lot of product. Uh, we're starting them on Facebook just because Facebook and Instagram, which Instagram belongs mm -hmm. to Facebook, they're, at this point, a very inexpensive way to reach a big audience. Mm. So um, Facebook owns Instagram, it owns WhatsApp. So um, there is a big ecosystem. Now, once we have found out who this audience is and what their pain points are, which people will respond to your ads, will respond to your post, and they will say what, what they think in a raw form mm -hmm, sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's good. Let's take it as a learning. Once we know that and we know who we're targeting, this audience not only uses Facebook or Instagram, what they do is they have different platforms. So we find sure. the second platform that we know is going to target them. Let's say an, as an example, 
uh, a client that is um, has a product for gamers. Sure. As an example, sure. so we we find them on Facebook. We see what their problems are. We see how to solve it, and then we go to Twitch as an example. Yep. Um, which is a gamer platform. Yep. So if we have women that uh, with a certain um, profile, uh, then uh, there is another client that we're now just kind of going to that second phase where we're like, okay, now we can invest in Pinterest advertising sure. and content because we know that your audience is going to go there. If we find out that as a service, we start on Facebook and then we find out that it's CEOs and CFOs and CMOs, mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. now that we know who they are and how to target them, then we'll go to LinkedIn Yeah, yeah. and then we target them there. But as an example, LinkedIn is 13 times more expensive than Facebook. Oh, wow. For every dollar that you spend on Facebook, you're going to have to spend $13 in LinkedIn. So you really need to make sure mm. that your message is right and that your target audience is perfect so that you're, you're, you start with your best foot forward. Right, right. So that's an example of finding that audience in a very inexpensive environment and then moving to yeah, uh, the a very more, targeted. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then when you start on Facebook, are you starting with paid ads then? Is that how you are reaching them and kind of like building those learnings or are you doing it organically? We do we do a two prong strategy. We start with developing content so that your page is legit. Your page has content for mm -hmm. somebody to come and and uh, consume it. And we bring people to your page through paid. Sure. Uh, so because people are not just going to find you out of nowhere they they need to be introduced and uh long gone are the days where your content will go viral yeah. and um you know just attract a whole bunch of followers people are way more selective now and um people have a lot of things in their newsfeed so yeah. you have to pay to play and think about it whenever you pay for advertising on Facebook um, and in any platform, really, you're paying for very targeted impressions. Mm -hmm. Impression is every time that somebody sees your ad. So your your money goes um, a very long way because it is a very qualified audience. If you just leave it to organic and just do just content on your page and that's it never include paid you have two problems one you're going to grow very slowly and two you are going to maybe bring an audience that doesn't that likes your pictures but doesn't want to consume the content right 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 there's many many reasons why somebody will follow a page mm -hmm. so to make sure that you have a nice balance of you know, learnings, you do content on one side, community management, sure. you engage with that audience and then bring the right audience to your page. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. It's a really kind of fresh take on how you learn who your target, target audience is. And I actually hadn't thought of it in quite that way of just um, paying to paying to play, like you said, but using it not necessarily in a way where you're like, okay, I'm hoping to generate leads or sales or something like that. It really is paying for inexpensive market research, right? That you can't get mm -hmm. anywhere anywhere else. And I hadn't thought of approaching it in that way. That's really kind of a, an interesting, an interesting way to go about it. And it makes a lot of sense. So then 
as I think about something like that, because I've typically strayed away from advertising on Facebook and Instagram at this time, just because I feel like I am, I am relatively new. And so there's just, there's a lot of other avenues that are less expensive. And, you know, when you talk to somebody and they're like, Hey, you should do, or when you do advertising, you need to budget like $500 a month. And then Mm -hmm. I'm somebody who like, could I technically run those ads myself? Yes. Do I want to? No, because it's like something, you know, I feel like it's a very specialized um, Mm -hmm. service that if I'm going to pay for it, if I'm going to pay for the ads, if I'm going to put $500, like people suggest, into an ad, I'm just going to pay somebody to get it done for me because I don't want to waste that money if I don't know like how to target and like kind of manage those ads properly. But is that so is that like a a realistic budget? Do you need to go in with a budget that high? Or can you go in when you're thinking about it strictly from a learning standpoint? Can you go in with a hundred dollars, for example, and see what that gets you? Um, you could go with a hundred dollars, but that's gonna get you very slow learning. Yeah, yeah. Um we're seeing right now, um uh about 25 to 50 cents per click Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know whenever you look at that that's not going to get you enough statistically relevant information that makes sense so um yeah i recommend at least ten dollars a day okay and that will be three hundred dollars and that is you know still a very slow trickle sure but if you're going to do it yourself you want to make sure that you're not um doing it in the wrong way because here is the deal these platforms they make it look really easy to set mm-hmm, up a campaign mm-hmm, but there mm-hmm. is a lot of hidden buttons yes. that you can click or not click and then poof it goes so the first thing that I'm, i would recommend if you're going to do it yourself is to not include ten dollars a day like don't do your budget in a day do it in a lifetime of a campaign okay and just keep changing the like if you say okay i'm gonna run it for a month three hundred dollars for the month um, and then if you get to the end of the month and you have not spent 300 or you want to continue, then just change the end date and change it to another month and so forth, so on, and continue changing the budget. If you do it per day, the algorithm is going to try to spend that budget per day, mm. whether the results are good or not. Sure. You're not letting the algorithm all that m- flexibility. Whenever you do it in a lifetime, the algorithm, let's if it was a person, um, it would say, okay, I today's results weren't very good, so let's try more tomorrow. Uh, I noticed today yeah, it yeah. was at 3 p.m. Let's, so it's trying to balance that. Oh, that um, makes a lot more sense. And I, yeah, so if you give it more space to the algorithm, it will do better mm-hmm. for you. Uh, so I always try to avoid the $10 per day unless there is a reason for it. Sure, sure. There's many reasons why you would have to spend those $10 per day. Um, as an example, Fridays for some of my clients are terrible days. They're just <laughs> results. just sure. stuck. I don't know if it's because people are thinking about the weekend and their, their mind is not there or they get out of work early and then they stop checking certain platforms, but they're terrible. If I were going to say to the to the algorithm, I want $10 per day, it will spend $10 on Fridays, that it's known to be my worst day. Sure, yeah. If I let the algorithm go, then 
it, they're it'll learn that they're yeah. not yeah and then it will avoid fridays not all together it will still try but fridays won't be my heaviest yep. spending day yeah um and another way is if you know your limit like i cannot pay more than a dollar per click or a dollar per landing page or a dollar per whatever set a cost limit you can tell the algorithm Fantastic. I, I don't mind if you do not spend my $300 a month. Mm. I just don't want to go over a dollar. And oh, then okay. it won't go over yeah, a dollar. Yeah. But it will try not to. So, um, again, and these are things that you don't know if you're doing them yourself, that you learn by experience. Mm -hmm. You learn mm -hmm. by, we take a lot of, you know, webinars and courses and we have a rep. Yes. And so, yeah, all you're of these things. You are highlighting exactly why I'm like, could I technically do this on my own? Yes. <laughs> Will I? Probably not. Just because too, you know, like yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you and I'm like, gosh, I'm learning a ton about, you know, like I've always been told just cap your, you know, tell, tell Facebook $10 a day, um, you know, and then I think about there's all this stuff that you're talking about in terms of just a budget. And there are other best practices that I know in terms of like, you know, make sure that you're A-B testing an ad and things like that. And, you know, how how you monitor and kind of like tweak your budget and things like that as it goes to make sure that, you know, you're funneling it towards the one that's actually performing better for you. And it, there's just, there's so much that goes into it that I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, it it just... To be successful, it's not something that I can babysit myself. If I stopped doing all the other yeah. things for my business and I just paid attention to social media advertising, yeah. sure, you know, like that's fine. But the world like has to keep turning and I can't just sit and babysit ads for myself. So I that is super fascinating. I've not when it comes to the budget, I have not heard it broken down like that. And I think those are kind of those secrets that an expert knows mm -hmm. that, you know, even though Facebook and Instagram are trying to be helpful when they like pitch these, you know, oh, it's so easy and you can just allocate $10 a day or five or whatever it is. Um, they're kind of doing a disservice to some of those small businesses because if you don't, if you don't know those things, and you don't have the time mm -hmm. to like evaluate it, then that's money that like you're spending that you don't realize isn't working as hard as it could be. It doesn't mean that you're wasting money. It doesn't mean that like, you know, it was malicious or whatever um, on the site of Facebook or Instagram to get you to spend that money. It's just that it's not doing as much as it could be. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, you want to be as effective as possible with that dollar spend, especially when it comes to marketing, because there's nothing worse than feeling mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm wasting my time or my money when it comes to marketing my business. I think that's something that like I hear all the time and people are like, well, then I just stop spending money on my marketing because I just don't know if it's even doing anything for me. And that, yeah, and that stinks. Exactly. That stinks because you really do need it to grow and scale. Yeah. Um, you know, but nobody likes feeling like, oh, I don't really know if this 300 or 500 or whatever I'm spending is actually doing anything for me. Like that's a, that's a horrible yeah. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with all of those updates for the algorithm. And then Apple, you know, establishes their new privacy policy and how is it going to mm -hmm. affect me and mm -hmm. how, you know, all of those things, you have way more important things to, you know, worry about with your own business. Yeah. So, 
sometimes it's good to just let somebody else handle yeah. it. Yeah. Speaking of the Apple update, I so I'm an Apple user and I've started getting asked by the apps like, hey, can I track this? Can I not? Um, and generally as a marketer, I like I like advertising. I like the ads that I get served. Mm-hmm. I interact with them a lot. Some of them are just for like professional learning, just to be like, oh, what happens? What do I see? Um, kind of trend watching. But I've genuinely found some of my favorite products through Facebook advertising from ads that have been served to me. Um, so most apps I allow to track. There's a couple that have been like, whatever, I don't no, <laughs> whatever you have to pitch me. No, like I, you serve a very like specific purpose in my life. Um, have you seen a really big impact from that mm-hmm. on the businesses, and what does that look like? Yeah, the the impact has been far less trackability. Mm-hmm. Um, it really impacted Facebook's ability to target people. So um, we used to be able to get really, really specific on what we wanted, make very good lookalike audiences, and um, retargeting has been affected the most. Mm. Uh, So it is in conversions. So it used to be that Facebook could track you all the way, um, and now it seems like barely can track landing page Mm. views which is the first step, right. the conversion part, it's having a little bit trouble. And so it's estimating a lot, mm. which estimating is never good. And then I agree with you. There is such a thing as Facebook is going to send ads to you no matter what. Mm-hmm. So don't you think that because they're not tracking you, <laughs> they're not going to send yeah. you ads. Yep. They're going to send you ads. They're just going to send you irrelevant ads. Yes. And so... I rather they know that, like, as an example, my Facebook account, uh, which is mainly business related, uh, I get a lot of really good stuff for my business and to know new platforms to do stuff, um, to do things that um, I can do more efficiently because they're startups and blah, blah, blah. So I actually really enjoy, like you, that they track me and, and it's a free service. So um, whenever I've seen other people just completely stop the tracking process, mm-hmm. then the ads are irrelevant. And they're telling me they're receiving ads as if they were a male in their 50s mm-hmm. or like, you know, and I'm like, well, that's that's what you get. Yep. It doesn't that they don't track you doesn't mean that they're not going to send you ads. It's just that they're going to send you junk ads. Yeah, yeah. I have I have tried to explain um, this argument very similarly. I have a friend who um, runs her own business, and she has – she has notoriously like always been against advertising. She's just like, I won't do it. I don't believe in it. I'm not going to like spam people to get them to try and like buy my products. And I was always like, listen, if you are spamming people, you're doing it wrong, right? In theory, there is a lot of research and strategy that goes into serving an ad to someone. So in theory... If you've done all of that stuff, it even if they don't like your ad, they're not going to be like annoyed by your ad. Like they might scroll by it and be like, eh, you know, that's not really for me. Like I'm not interested in that right now. Um, you know, and that happened to me all the time. But I was like, if you if you're hitting the right people in the right place at the right time with the right message, 
they're going to be interested in it. And it's going to feel really good to them. Like they're going to have Mm -hmm. a positive association to your brand. Whereas if, you know, like we're talking about this trucking now, if if you turn that off and now all of a sudden um, my maternity leggings are getting promoted to my husband, he's like, ugh, this is so annoying. Like why? And I'm like, well, Mm-hmm. Yeah, because to your point, they're just they're still going to send you ads. Facebook still wants to make money. It's just now they don't mm-hmm. know what to send you. And so it's like, I don't know. I think if you're going to – I think there's definitely a case for allowing it because you just – you want that experience to be tailored and you do want it to be relevant mm-hmm. to you. Um, and it stinks, I think, for brands when it's – you know, people don't. So then potentially, you know, you are – kind of wasting money or energy serving it to people. My husband doesn't need maternity leggings. He's not interested in yeah, them, you know. No. Um, but he's gonna see those things because he's turned his tracking off. Whereas I have mine on. And so, you know, if I get served maternity leggings, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't need those anymore. But hey, that was really interesting. But I probably know somebody else who does. So yeah, yeah. And, you know, the problem is whenever advertising is done for nefarious, uh, you know, purposes, and we all know about the Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. disaster, and um, it's, you know, there is a lot of case for, you know, social media and ads being done the wrong way mm-hmm. um, and, you know, affecting politics and affecting a lot of things. But I do not. No, I don't think that just shutting yourself out of it is the answer. Yeah. The answer is, you know, to make it so that irrelevant or nefarious objectives are not in the platform. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, up to Facebook. Um, yeah, but if you want to use free services, if you want to enjoy all the things that these platforms have to give, then, you know, that's the only way they're going to make money mm-hmm. through ads. Mm-hmm. And I want people to understand that we don't, I don't get your name and address. Right, right. I don't get your size <laughs> yeah, of pants. Right, right. Right? I just get that you may be a mom and from, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. even a toddler mom because um, you're in these websites. or mm-hmm. And so I know that much and I may know, by your IP address, I don't, but Facebook does, that you may have a certain household income and, you know, all of these things that make you, but I don't know who you are. I've never gotten the name and address of anybody. Right, right. If you get that, then that's not legit. That's that's something else. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, Cambridge Analytica type of scandal. But majority of advertisers do not get that much information. We just get profiles and you fit within mm-hmm. a profile mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. End of the story. Um, and even whenever you say, I don't want to share this information on Facebook, guess what? There is a thousand platforms. There's a thousand software yeah. um, that is tracking you through other methods. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like a whack-a-mole uh, without, with, with the added um, annoyance of <laughs> not getting the right information, yeah, right? Yep. You're trying to control Facebook, and yet, you know, this company over here is tracking all your information online because you signed up for a free whatever. Yep. And so, 
it's it's kind of like you pick your battles and this there is always consequences yeah to your yeah actions. it's this conversation in general, I think, is like super fascinating. It plays out a lot in a lot of the marketing groups that I'm a part of, and I don't want to derail our conversation with it. It's because it's more like, you know, on the marketing and advertising side of things. And I think we as marketers have sometimes been positioned as like mm-hmm. the the bad guys, but we're not necessarily like, you know, most people, a majority of marketers and advertisers aren't out there to like spam you or take advantage of you. And I think in fact, it's just like a bigger conversation that as a society, we have to know and understand like with our smartphones, to your point, so much is being tracked that it's it is so far outside of just the scope of Facebook, you know, and I think mm-hmm. we kind of have to reconcile um data and data sharing in such a bigger scope, you know, and so it's, it's very interesting, but to kind of bring it back, yeah. bring it back to this conversation, the, so retargeting and things like that, which really I think has been a critical mm-hmm. component of social advertising. At least I've always been taught like, Hey, there's always two steps. There's the initial, um, advertising mm-hmm. and then you follow up with a retargeting. Like that's the most effective way to kind of maximize mm-hmm. and get the best ROI. So then with that retargeting, are we back to just sort of relying on, I get like the guessing and the estimating, mm-hmm. or do you do you think over time that like the system's going to evolve and get smarter and kind of find its way around this? Yeah, and it, yes, to everything. Um, so there is actually, I would say, three steps. So one is your cold, you know, audience, which mm. is they don't know you. You branded, you build awareness. Then it's the retargeting, which is the effective one to sell your product to those people that interacted with your ad. So you're now narrowing it down. And then there is the third one, which is your current customers. You still need to, like people that sold, mm-hmm. that bought your product or service, you still need to engage them. You still need to have them involved with your brand and have a relationship. Not because you get married, you stop talking to your partner, you you continue, right? right? right. Because that's what a relationship is. Um, and then going back to that problem with retargeting systems are going to get algorithms are going to get um much better at retargeting there is already um you know a lot of crm systems and a lot of um tracking um uh, websites that can actually merge information so that you can have a more effective retargeting Mm. so uh, when there is a challenge, there is always somebody that figures out a solution. So in that sense, we already are having solutions to those problems. Mm. We're just having to look maybe in different ways than we looked at before. We were relying on Facebook to be able to do everything. Now we may have to use different platforms. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I so break down the process of a CRM then, because I hadn't actually thought of a CRM as a way to kind of continue to retarget and establish a relationship. Can you break that down for our my listeners and kind of explain what that is and maybe how it's beneficial? 
Mm-hmm. And there is different types, and I said CRM, but there is different types right. of tracking. I mean, the best, the, the one that is most common among my clients is HubSpot yeah. is a very good example um, where you can create the websites, the landing pages, you can create um, a nurturing um Tra- journey for your uh, you know, uh, potential customers. Yeah. So once you enter into their ecosystem, mm-hmm. once they have you, um, then you can start retargeting people that came to the landing page, mm-hmm. people that um, you know uh, enter half of their information, not all of it. Even a simple place like Squarespace, which is a website. Yeah. Um, uh, builder or even Shopify are starting to integrate all that specific tracking of what activity is happening. Mm-hmm. So, in as an example, in Shopify, which is most common among uh, small businesses that have a product, um, when you can actually start saying, "Okay, anybody that came to my website and fill out part of the information, and we have their email address, let's just." Let's just uh, retarget them again and say, hey, you forgot mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, check out or yep. are you still interested in these pants? Um, so anything like that that you can do with a first party cookie, basically, then you're going to be able to go down in, into retargeting much more effectively than probably Facebook would have. Yeah. Because it's your own data. Yes. Yes. So. Any system that allows you to keep your data that you can then use it again, that's a good system. Yeah. So then kind of going back to thinking about how you were using um, Facebook and Instagram to kind of do those initial learnings mm-hmm. with this change. And I I see what you're saying about kind of just going outside of Facebook, right? So CRM, for those of you who aren't aware, customer relationship management, things like HubSpot, um, Shopify, Instacart, um, trying to think, Salesforce is probably way beyond um, anybody who's in a small business, but things like that where, you know, it does track kind of all of that activity is and sort of allows you to execute your marketing in, in one platform, so thinking about what you're going, what you said at the beginning, where you use Facebook and Instagram to mm-hmm. kind of get those initial learnings. So would you still kind of go about it that way and then just take those learnings and apply it and take it to like an outside CRM if you're not seeing the results because of mm-hmm. this this privacy and this tracking with Apple and things like that that's starting to hurt retargeting? Is that kind of, is that a good approach then? So is that something where you are Mm going to start to see those CRMs maybe become more robust and smarter about their marketing tools that they offer? Yes, and they already were. Um, So uh, I would say you need both in your life. Mm. So Facebook brings the initial wave of that cold traffic and also has information that maybe your, your system doesn't, which is, what they did in the platform. Still, Facebook knows if you are part of a mommy group, as an example, yep. or you're part of parenting group. So um, 
there is that retargeting of being able to match that information with activity in your post, in your ad mm. that is very valuable. But then also once it becomes it, once it goes into your website, those are very engaged people. So if the system you that you have implemented can track those people, can retarget those people, then then I would use it on top of the retargeting mm-hmm. that Facebook is going to give allow you. So, um, and then there are systems like, you know, Criteo is one of them that actually creates audiences and knows audiences inside out. And their whole business is based on retargeting. So if you have a higher budget, then Criteo is actually a platform that that is mm. worth trying. And if not Criteo, somebody like Criteo, where their whole system is to uh, analyze who's coming to your website and then give you people like those, if not those people. So, um, yeah, I go constantly to webinars of systems that have been designed especially for that engaged customer or potential customer. Right. So those systems were out there before, and now they have become even more important to look at. Um, And not not everybody can afford them because sometimes you need like 50,000 visitors and who has, you know, small businesses don't have Mm -hmm, mm 50,000 visitors. So just kind of what what we do is we try to do it yourself type of thing like we take your squarespace or your shopify information and then we take your facebook information and we try to um you know make do with the tools that you have instead of going to these big systems but know that they are out there right right i do believe that they will become uh more affordable and um as as everything has, right? It used to be super expensive to build a website because you had to code it and now it's a do-it-yourself. Yep. So I think that those systems will become more accessible to small businesses. Yeah, yeah. That is that is a great point. As you're kind of talking about all of that, that was the same thought that I had. It's like, you know, these, these systems have like a new target audience, basically, that before wasn't wasn't going to come to them because as a small business, as an entrepreneur, I don't have $80,000 to drop on HubSpot, but, you know, and they're, they have a free version, which is, is fine, but it only kind of gets you so far, right? That's basically what it was designed for is to get you mm-hmm. kind of hooked in and like, oh, okay, I really like this. Now I want to pay for it. Um, right. The original kind of content marketing um, plan, but I'm interested to see how this evolves and how they become more affordable for small businesses because I think there is kind of a huge a huge need for it. Um, but then likewise for services for people who are going to have to help business owners understand how to use these things. Mm-hmm. Um, because even as a marketer, I understand all of these steps. But as mm-hmm. a small business owner, do I have time to get all of these steps in place? Usually not, right? Like there's it's it's so um there's so much that goes into making this manageable that i think it's it can be really difficult and and then it becomes overwhelming and people just kind of tap out and say like i i can't do this like it's it's just not manageable yeah, yeah. as a small business owner. it is not manageable and you know what also sometimes it's like okay your your budgets are so small that it's my job to tell you you need to be patient because mm-hmm. you're not there yet mm-hmm. and um that is something that happens like entrepreneurs are used to a fast environment things happening fast mm-hmm. and whenever you put 
$300 a month in Facebook, it is going to take a while. Yeah. And so it is about patient and keeping your eye on the ball and on your goal and just kind of just illustrating what we're learning instead of getting results right away, which may not happen yeah. with a small budget. Yeah, absolutely. Marketing is very much a long game. And I have to remind people of that mm-hmm. all the time. It doesn't matter what avenue you're going through, whether it is kind of traditional advertising or through digital channels, like you're playing the long game here. There's going to be some yeah. small wins. You're certainly going to see, you know, maybe an increase in brand awareness. You might see an increase, a little bit of increase in sales. But you kind of, it is a lot of managing expectations to say like, hey, you're not going to go out here on your first time at bat mm-hmm. and hit a home run and just, you know, get millions of dollars or even tens of thousands or thousands of dollars off of this. It really is, like you said, kind of that learning. And it does take a lot of time. Marketing is a lot of patience, which I think doesn't get talked about quite as much because it's not, no, it's not it as glamorous as being like, hey, I spent $5 a day on Facebook ads for a month and I made $10 million. I'm so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking, speaking of budget, when, you know, I know we've talked a little bit about um, Facebook advertising and things like that and kind of what you recommend, but overall as a digital strategy, if I'm thinking kind of 360 degrees, right, and planning to kind of build out and move from this initial learning platform to the next best one, which is a little bit more targeted, probably a little bit more expensive, How do I start planning around and creating a strategy for my digital marketing? And then how do I start building a budget around that? Is there, Mm -hmm. you know, is it something that I should just leave to somebody to recommend? Is it something that as a small business owner, I need to be looking at and saying, here's kind of what I think I can afford. Help me get done what I can within this budget. How does that work? What do you recommend? So I actually recommend to do a little bit of math and always know your break-even. Mm-hmm. Where are you breaking even? So and that means when are you, what's the point where if you spend more, you lose money? Mm-hmm. And that with the initial understanding, you know how much you're spending per click, how many people do convert in your website and what do they do? So let's say as an example that we spend for two months, we spend $500 a month, right? So that will be a thousand dollars and we get, let's make it easy, but we make, um, we have a cost per click of a dollar. So it's costing me a dollar every time somebody clicks and lands in my page. So which would that would be actually a cost per landing page, which is what I recommend more than just optimizing for clicks. Yeah. So cost per landing page. So I knew I know they arrived. So from my landing page, I know that they convert at a ten percent. Mm. So that means for those thousand people that arrive, ten percent actually converted and enter into checkout. That means that only a hundred yeah. came in and, and they started checkout. Yeah. Normally starting checkout doesn't mean they made a sale. So let's say that another 10% actually did finish mm-hmm. the checkout and bought. That means from the hundred people that it started, then 10 people actually bought. Yep. So at the end of the day, I have a cost per acquisition um, of $1,000 divided by 10. So that's $100. Mm-hmm. Right? 
So it takes me in this particular channel, it takes me a hundred dollars to get a sale. If my product is $20, I'm losing money. If my product is a hundred dollars, I am breaking, break even. If my product is 200, then I, I earn a hundred dollars on top of that. Yeah. So knowing that I now know that as things stand now, I can or cannot afford that acquisition. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have to do, what do I have to do? Do I have to improve my checkout process? Do I have to lower my cost per click? So that's where we start managing expectations and say, okay, this is what it is. Um, And so is a thousand people coming to your website enough? Then a thousand dollars in a channel that it's a dollar cost per click. It's enough. But now let's say that we get a thousand dollars on Facebook. Everything works out. Your product is $150. You're gaining 50 at the end. Fantastic. But now whenever we go to LinkedIn, we know that my cost per click is going to be 10 times higher. Yeah. Yep. So now my cost per acquisition is going to be different. Yes. So. Yes, that's how I calculate budgets and I calculate where to go. <laughs> yeah, no, that you are you are speaking my language when I talk to clients about building out marketing strategies. Understanding the cost of their business is like mm-hmm. step one. You know, it's it's really easy to say like, oh, I just want to jump in and start making a list of like all the places I'm going to market and all the places I'm going to advertise and things like that. But you really do kind of have to roll back and you have to understand what the cost of your business is. And then, you know, when you're building out a strategy, okay, if my cost of doing business is X, here's what I need to generate in terms of revenue to make this whole thing Mm -hmm. viable, right? I can't just look at, is this going to be profitable in this one channel? Certainly, like I need to evaluate that before I enter any marketing strategy. But then overall, is this even moving the needle for my business? Is this going to Mm -hmm. generate and do enough for me? What is What do I need to get to? Because then that's going to influence, it is going to influence your budget. If I need to generate $50,000 in revenue this year, and my cost of acquisition, like you said, is maybe $100, then it's going to start to influence how I make those marketing decisions. So as an entrepreneur, as a small business, you really can't separate the two of them. If you want to be really strategic about your marketing, you really have to understand the numbers behind it because that's where smart strategic decisions start taking place versus just throwing money at the wall, throwing a marketing strategy out there and hoping for the best, right? You, You move from that like feeling hopeful to feeling strategic. You're still, you know, it's yeah. not always going to be a win, but you're going to walk away with something that you've learned that you can feel really good about applying to your next advertising or marketing decisions, which is is very important, I think. So um, shifting gears just a little bit, we've talked a lot about how to be smart when you're spending your money, how to build these strategies. And you you talk about, again, those initial learnings on Facebook and Instagram. When a new channel, a social channel comes out like a TikTok or a Clubhouse and thinking about how it's already a lot as a small business owner to manage mm-hmm. the current channels that are out there, let alone a brand new one that's sort of like the wild, wild west, how 
how do you counsel your clients and how do I know as a small business, is this right for me? Is begging for a clubhouse invite going to be mm -hmm. worth my time and energy and is spending all of my time there worth it? How do you evaluate those new channels? So the first thing that you have to evaluate is, can you generate the content that the channel mm -hmm. requires? And TikTok is a perfect example. It's very visual, it's very fast, yeah. it's, you know, it's very particular in the, in the kind of content. So I have clients that have been wanting to go into TikTok, but whenever I say, can you generate the content? They're like, no, we cannot. We cannot be in the frequency that, they, that TikTok requires. We cannot do an mm -hmm. effective mm -hmm. strategy. I said, then don't, don't do, do it. it. Yep. I don't care how how interesting it is, how big it is, how popular it is. If you cannot maintain a constant presence, um, then you're gonna you're gonna give a bad image. Sometimes those channels are the the first and only chance you have to get in front of audience. If you're gonna present a bad first impression, then then don't do it. Yeah. Yep. Do what you can do well. And uh, if you want to sacrifice another channel that is not performing and just say, okay, I'm going to stop investing there to invest in the new channel. Go for it. I love trying. I love going into new channels. Yep. Um, that's fantastic. Let's do it. But know that you, it matters, the content that you have mm -hmm. on your mm -hmm. page. That's, that's also in many channels that uh, the platform is going to evaluate how often you are posting, uh, how many people interact with your content, and many other things. So uh, you have to consider that first and foremost. Yes. And then is your audience there? A lot of clients wanted to go into TikTok just because it was popular, but at the like two years, like a year and a half ago, pre-pandemic, TikTok was famous, but it was very famous in very young audiences. Mm -hmm. So if you were selling a software, then it made no sense. Yeah. You know, a software that was not for, teenagers it makes yeah. no sense so uh now a year and a half later tiktok has much wider variety of audiences right. and so now maybe it's the time to look at it and say you know can i find my audience there is my audience has has my audience moved from instagram to tiktok mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then let's follow them so yeah one is content and consistency and you know, basically quality. And the other one is, is your audience there? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, I say the same thing when I talk about marketing strategies and we're building out a plan for my clients. Like I focus on what you have the capacity to do. If you don't have the capacity to execute a channel well, then you, you, you either don't do it or you understand that mm -hmm. you're going to go into it to have a presence, but it's not going to generate and it's not going to give the impression that you want to have, which, you know, brings us back full circle. Let's mm -hmm. evaluate. Is that worth it? Is it not worth it? Kind of a thing. Um, but I think that content piece yeah. is really, really critical because so often, you know, and I saw it, I saw it with TikTok. I saw, I see it with reels and things like that. I see so many marketing coaches, especially who are like, oh, you have to be doing reels and all you have to do is one reel a day. And I'm like, but do you, it's a lot of work to put together one TikTok mm -hmm. or one reel a day. It's it's not like it's not two minutes of my day, right? I have. I mean, it might be sometimes, but then there's other days where I really have to stretch and think, like, well, what am I going to put together today? And what is the message? Yeah. And 
And is it strategic? Because it's fine to just kind of put out fun little things, but I am kind of of the mindset that if I'm going to spend a lot of time in this space, I want it to be, I want it to feel strategic and I want it to kind of align with my brand. And if I can't do mm-hmm. that, then like, what, what is the point? Why am I here? Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I, I teach social media strategy at a local university. And here is the, the first thing that I talk about is your content strategy. Mm-hmm. It looks like people are just on the fly doing a thing, especially mm-hmm. influencers make it look super easy. It's not. It is they like- The content is like that alone it requires its own strategy yeah, it could be a and its job. own work. Yeah. It's, it is a full-time <laughs> job. We actually have a, a, a right. particular course on content right. strategy. And then I come in and I'm like, what you learn in content strategy, we're going to use it in social media. So, But you cannot do a proper social media without a content strategy. Mm-hmm. That is just not going to happen. Not on the fly. You cannot do. Otherwise, you may get in in trouble because one day you tell one thing to your audience and the other day you t- tell your other, other thing and you're talking to one audience one day and another and it's just a mess and nobody's going to stay with it. Yep, yep. You stay with a channel, you stay with a page, you stay with an influencer because they have a constant topic or a constant language or a constant, there is consistency and consistency can only be achieved with planning, a strategic planning. Yes. So... I mean, there is some, um, you know, you can do one or two like on the fly Mm -hmm. type of things, but normally your content has been pre-planned, pre-produced, and you pull it out as you, as you need it for your own business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those influencers, man, they just make marketing look so easy. (laughs) And then we, yeah, but they're, They're all day planning that that trip, that shot. Yes, yes. you know. <laughs> oh man, there's so so many good, so many good nuggets. As we're kind of coming up, like on the close of an hour here, I feel like the the biggest takeaway is have really like it all comes down to strategy, being strategic about my content, being strategic about the channels that I'm going into, what my goals are when I am paying for advertising or I'm doing any kind of digital marketing. My I really need to be thinking very strategically and knowing know going in to that effort what I hope to get out of it and how I'm going to use it to kind of build on or prepare myself for kind of the next step in that marketing process. Um, So thank you so much for your time and expertise. I genuinely appreciate it. I know I've I've learned a lot and I've shifted my thinking on some of these strategies myself. So if listeners want to connect with you, where can they connect? They can find me on my website, springhilldigital.com. Again, those are kind of three words merged together. It's spring, hill, digital.com um i'm also in my social media channels but really my website will drive you everywhere you want and we have nuggets of information that we put out that it's the same information that we tell our clients so if you want articles and stuff like that it's on my website and we have a campaign checklist if you want to if you want to do this on your own we have all the things that you think you have to think about so at least you have 
a month. Yes, that's awesome. Can I link that in the show notes? That would be amazing. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Perfect. Perfect. All right, listeners, I hope you have learned a lot today about how to begin or continue to grow your online presence for your business. Being in the digital marketing space is a very cost-effective way to begin to grow and scale. But don't forget to connect with Naira if you've enjoyed today's episode so you can get that checklist. You can learn to do this correctly and in the best way possible for you and your business. And if you've enjoyed today's episode as much as I have, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Startup Marketing to help other listeners like you find this podcast. Until next time.